This is Healthy Together, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org to learn more. And now here's our host, WCBS's Marla Diamond. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Together podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. Today, navigating the germosphere with your children this winter. To help with that, we welcome Dr. Amisha Malhotra, infectious disease expert with the Bristol Myers Squibb Children's Hospital at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, part of the Children's Health Network at RWJ Barnabas Health. She's also an associate professor of pediatrics at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and co-director of the R. W.J. Barnabas Health Antimicrobial Stewardship Program. Thanks so much, Dr. Malhotra, for joining us on the podcast. So we know that respiratory infections have been particularly bad this winter, especially among children. What have you been seeing? So um, we started seeing a lot of influenza currently, but really in the last couple of months, um, I would say RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus, um, started a little early than usual. Uh, we started seeing cases here in the Northeast probably um, about a month or so before we usually see the spike. Although um, I know colleagues out West have seen RSV spikes even earlier than that. So some of these viruses, which we normally see start November, December, we started seeing a little earlier like RSV. Currently, I think um, we're in the middle of seeing a peak of influenza, as well as other respiratory viruses, paraflu, and even some of the summertime viruses are still hanging around, something called enterovirus. So we're seeing a bunch of things. Um, and of course, don't forget COVID is always in the background. So this is the time of year um, we're kind of getting bombarded with quite a few of these viruses. Uh, as you said, COVID is still out there. And of course, now it's flu season. Also polio, monkeypox. It's become a really complicated medical landscape for parents to navigate. Sure. I agree. I agree. COVID, um, you know, there are things we can do and and protect ourselves. And then there are things that we just have to be vigilant about. Um, I agree with you that COVID is still here. I think we're going to continue to see COVID personally, but um, thankfully it is not um, at such a high level right now. Now, what's going to happen in the next couple of months, who knows, no crystal ball here, but um, you know, uh, we, we are seeing, I would say, moderate levels of COVID, um, at least in, in our neck of the woods. And as far as monkeypox goes, um, certainly a couple of months ago, that was a big concern. Um, we are not seeing that many new cases of monkeypox now. So we had a surge. Now we're trying, we're probably uh, trickling on the other side and, and uh, lower cases of monkeypox. Not to say none of this is zero. We haven't said that yet but certainly not the surge that we saw a few months ago. But we just heard that uh, New Jersey reported its first monkeypox death. Is there a, a monkeypox risk for children? So the risk, honestly, of all the viruses, I would probably say monkeypox is the one for children which probably has the least risk if we're looking at all of our viruses currently on the scene. The reason I say that is the way that it's transmitted really is through contact. And the children, and there have been a handful of pediatric cases, 
um, if you look at the data of how many um, monkeypox cases we've seen, children under 15, um, they've been, you know, less than 20 or 20 to 30 in the United States. So we're not seeing a lot of monkeypox cases in our pediatric population. And those kids that have monkeypox, majority of them is through contact with an adult who has monkeypox. So it's not like monkeypox is going to just come out of nowhere. nowhere. Like I said, of all the respiratory viruses that, that we are seeing right now, the one I would say I'm not as concerned about for pediatrics is monkeypox. Unless, of course, there's a high-risk individual in the household, and again, it's close contact, that's a different story. And that's where many of our pediatric cases are being reported. And that's when you, you would recommend a monkeypox vaccine for that child? Not necessarily. If needed, yes, I would recommend evaluation. Certainly let your health professional know. Uh, let them know the risk. Um, certainly if there's a rash, of course, we have to monitor, we have to check, we have to diagnose. Monkeypox, again, is self-limited. Um, and, you know, but the rash is the telltale sign. So if there is a concern, um, certainly give your healthcare provider a call if there's a concern that there's someone in the household or there's been close contact with monkeypox. And then you see the rash in the child, that's even more concerning. So yes, I, I, I think um, there is something we can do. There is a vaccine. There's also medication available, but that all depends on, um, you know, on, on what we see, what we find, um, we meaning the healthcare provider that you're going to notify or, or who will see your child. We continue with Healthy Together, a podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. Go to rwjbh.org. Now back to your host, Marla Diamond. We're speaking with Dr. Amisha Malhotra, infectious disease expert with the Bristol Myers Scribb Children's Hospital at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. You talked a bit about monkeypox symptoms, but what are the symptoms of COVID, RSV, and the flu? Are they the same or different? So COVID, RSV, and the flu, we will lump them together as respiratory viruses. And um, really, they give the typical respiratory symptoms, the fever, the cough, the runny nose, the nasal congestion. How do we differentiate? And that's a great question. It's really difficult based just on uh, symptoms to differentiate. These um, viruses tend to circulate around the same time as winter. Um, some may come first, some may come later. So that's somewhat helpful if we know what's going around in the community. Like I said, RSV, uh, you know, was, was spiking prior before influenza. So we, we know that that came first, although we're still seeing some RSV cases, but now we have a spike in flu cases. So when you look at symptoms, these are all respiratory viruses that are going to give you respiratory symptoms. It's very hard to tease out. Um, specifically what you have just based on cough, cold symptoms. When is it time to call the doctor and when is it time to take your child to the emergency room? So absolutely, if you find that your child is not responding, sleeping more, not, um, you know, waking up when called, um, those are clear signs. Something's wrong. Um, other things being that they are respiratory viruses, some children can get affected and have uh, breathing difficulties. So if your child is coughing, having trouble breathing, 
it's time to uh, call your doctor, or bring them into the ER. You know, but if your child is ill, your child has a fever, but they're otherwise acting fine, I, I say, you know, of course, we want to try to limit the spread. So please make sure that they're not in contact or they're not going to school or whatever, because again, this is what they will pass on to the other children. Um, you know, some some Tylenol or, or anti-fever um, medication will help um, help their fever symptoms, make sure they are hydrated, they're drinking. They may not want to eat, but as long as they're hydrated, that we want to make sure that um, they have enough fluids um, inside of them. Those things are key. And, you know, giving your doctor a call and saying, look, my child is sick, give them a heads up too. They may say to you, if they're looking okay, you don't need to come in. But again, that's reassurance for the caregiver that you've spoken to somebody. And also the physicians who, who are taking care of your child um, may actually tell you on the phone, oh, we're seeing X, Y, and Z. Um, if your child gets worse, certainly bring them in. So it, it kind of, you know, lets everybody know where they stand. But certainly any child that's having difficulty breathing, uh, not able to take good breaths, any child who's looking very dry, looking like they're not drinking, very lethargic, um, not um, responding the way that they do. Those are the children that I get a little bit more concerned about and certainly would have them seen sooner than later. We've heard so much from the medical community about getting our kids vaccinated. The FDA has approved COVID boosters for children five months and older for the Moderna vaccine. And yet in that population, there are very few who even have gotten their second vaccine. How safe and how effective are the COVID-19 vaccines for children? So the COVID vaccines are safe for children. We wouldn't be authorizing them if it was otherwise. Um, you know, they're also post-marketing uh, data that's collected. So in other words, before launching the vaccine, clearly there are clinical trials that are done. Um, and they show that these vaccines are, are uh, effective and safe. And then once these vaccines are launched, and there are millions of kids across the globe that have gotten these vaccines, there is further data that's collected from them to see how they're doing. And so in the span that we've seen these vaccines being approved for children, there hasn't been a cause for concern in terms of safety for, for, for them not to get the vaccine. So for most children who can get the vaccine, the vaccine is a good vaccine, it's a safe vaccine. Um, and you know, I, I, I do recommend, because there's very little else we can do for our kids, at least that's one virus that you know, um, you, know you, can, you can try to prevent by vaccinating your child. Okay, so you recommend the COVID vaccine and the flu vaccine for children? Absolutely, the flu vaccine. The flu this year, uh, the predictions are we're going to have a pretty bad flu year. You know, um, the flu worries me because it's been a while since we've seen influenza here in the U.S. Um, you know, we had the last two years, we've had very mild flu seasons. And so it's, it's roaring its head this year. Um, we already know that in the Southern Hemisphere across the globe in Australia, they had a terrible flu season. And that same strain is coming our way. So our kids who were one, two, or three a couple of years ago where we really didn't see the flu have not been exposed. 
And that young population hasn't really seen influenza in the last couple of years. And, and I'm a little concerned how they are going to react to the flu because this year it's, um, it's here and it's really affecting a lot, of, a lot of people, young children and adults. And finally, I, I, I did want to give a little time here to polio. Um, almost impossible to believe, but we have seen it. And uh, wanted to ask you a few questions just about the, the, the signs and the symptoms of polio. When children uh, should be vaccinated against polio, and what are the chances of children contracting it if they're vaccinated? So polio... We once thought we didn't have to worry about, and uh, here we are having this discussion. Um, so, you know, I, I think this goes back to the case that was found in New York. There was a case of polio in in New York, and that subsequently led um, the departments of health to look for polio virus in um, in in actually the the sewage and the waste systems, and we did find the virus. So remember, polio is a virus that um, is spread by what we call fecal-oral. In other words, hand to mouth, you touch, um, you know, if you have polio, it usually goes in your stool. That's how it exits your body. Well, the virus could be active in the stool. And so young children, diapered adults, people don't wash their hands well. Now they're touching their mouth. Now that's how you transmit the virus. So we call it fecal-oral. And the fact that we actually found this virus in um, in New York, at least um, in in the sewage, tells us that that it is still around. Okay, so um, that in itself is concerning because there's a possibility now of transmission if it's found in the sewage. So there are people who may have the polio virus that are shedding it. But how do you protect yourself? So it is a respiratory virus, and then again, there are um, um, consequences of polio. And I think the most, the one that everybody knows is the paralysis. So, you know, uh, prior to the vaccine, this was a, a big concern. There's children and um, especially young children and, and young adults and adults who uh, succumb to polio could get paralyzed, could get meningitis. So it had some very significant um, long-term consequences. And once the polio vaccine came out, um, we actually were very, very hopeful that we eradicated this terrible virus. Um, however, you know, and the vaccine is very effective, mind you. Um, and that's why we thought that, that we eradicated it. But what's happening is um, vaccine uptake is not as robust as it, it should be. And so especially those areas right here in good old USA where um, you know, we, we um, don't have great vaccine uptake of polio. People are not vaccinating. The vaccine refusal rate for polio is high. Those are the areas I'm really concerned about. Those are the areas where the children or the adults who live there because they are not protected. That's where the concern is that we're going to see polio outbreak. Well, thank you so much for answering our questions, Dr. Malhotra. I'm sure it's reassuring for parents who are sending their kids to school unmasked in many cases and wondering uh, what the risk is for 
them contracting these respiratory diseases? So I, I will say we want our children to be as healthy as possible. Like I said before, there are things we can do. Um, one of the things we can do is preventative, right? How do we prevent this? Vaccines prevent disease. So my, my first suggestion would be, please make sure your children are all up to date on their vaccines. That includes polio, that includes influenza, that includes COVID. RSV right now, we do not have a vaccine available. We have some treatments available for very, very young infants and premature babies, but we do not have a vaccine available currently for RSV. So, you know, what we can prevent please do try to prevent. And, and, and um, I hope all our children are as up-to-date as they can be on vaccines. The second thing to remember is good hand hygiene. I spoke to you about fecal oil. And that's how a lot of things are, um, as long as respiratory, that's how a lot of these viruses are transmitted. So hand wash, you know, just remember the ABC song. That's what I tell my kids. You find a, a faucet, you have some soap, you sing the ABC song and that's good. That gets rid of some of the germs on your hands. So, you know, and, and if you're coughing, please remember to cover your nose, cover your mouth. And if you're sick and you're gonna go out in public, wear a mask, you know, let's try to protect each other. Um, wear a mask if you're sick. Um, so these are just some simple things we can all do, whether you're a child or an adult, um, to help prevent the spread of infection and to protect ourselves. Dr. Amisha Malhotra at the Children's Hospital at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the RWJ Barnabas Health Healthy Together podcast, brought to you by RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Visit them and learn more at rwjbh.org.